It's wonderful. I love uh, the scripture and to be able to hear the scripture in different translations. Uh, the translation that I read from uh, says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly what we just heard in the scripture reading, immeasurably more, right? And oftentimes, isn't it the case, we think that God is going to solve the situation in one way, and he ends up solving it uh, completely to our amazement, and it actually brings us joy and praise as we're so thankful for the Lord and how he answers prayers and how he aligns us with his plan and his purpose. Let's pray as we look to the word of God today. Father, we thank you so much that you are the fountain of truth, that from you we understand truth. And through Jesus, we find the way, the truth, and the life that brings us to your heavenly kingdom, to your presence. Lord, we want to ask that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We want to ask that you would remind us of all the amazing things that you've already done in our lives and the amazing things that you promised to do, that you who began the good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. We want to say yes and amen to all of your promises which are in Christ Jesus. And we want to pray that you would speak to us in such a way that we would be amazed at your goodness, that we would be thankful for your answers of prayer, and that we would be transformed more into the image of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, this concept of exceedingly abundantly, uh, there are people, both men and women throughout history, who have, in a sense, put God to the test and seen that he has been faithful to answer. Uh, one of those people, he is famous for the saying, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. That's William Carey. Uh, some of you might know a little bit about his life. Uh, he was born in England in the 1700s, and he was a humble person, actually making shoes. And then the Lord started stirring him after he was baptized. Uh, do you know what he accomplished? Actually, it's what the Lord accomplished through him. He went to India. Uh, he translated the Bible into six languages. Uh, a few of them are Hindi, Bengali, Oriya, and Sanskrit. Uh, those are really difficult languages. He translated the Bible into that, and he was responsible for translating part of the Bible into an additional 29 languages, right? From just uh, someone in a, a small town in England saying, here I am, use me, uh, believing that we can expect great things from God and we can attempt great things for God, he then was an instrument to bring God's word into a very populated area of the world. And uh, because of that concept of trying to do great things for God, uh, he has this title, the father of modern missions, right? So it's amazing, you know, and then just a couple hundred years later, we already kind of forget that God took a simple person making shoes and caused them to be used in a great way. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Uh, the focus today is that Jesus can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask and think. And 
we're just reminded, we've already studied part of this passage, that Jesus does amazing things so much more than we can even imagine. Um, Let's read now from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 34 and down through that passage. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. So it was deserted in that there weren't towns in that area. We're going to understand that he had them sit down in a grassy area. So it's not the desert, but it's a place where there's not towns and there's not resources to get food. Verse 36, Jesus says to them, Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages to buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered, and I'm sorry, that was the disciples who said that. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So most likely they were carrying a small amount of money. Uh, 200 denarii is about uh, seven months worth of wages. But we're going to understand from the passage that there's 500 men plus women and children there. So it wouldn't have been enough to go and buy uh, food. Verse 38. Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them and the two fish he divided among them all so they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish now all those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men so you can picture right on one of the hillsides next to the sea of galilee uh, all these people gather Uh, The context we remember from last week is that Jesus had sent out the disciples two by two. Uh, They were so busy preaching the gospel, praying for people, uh, seeing people healed, that they came back. They hadn't even been eating well themselves. And then in addition to that, they get the news that John the Baptist had been put to death. And so Jesus says, separate yourselves, come aside, rest a little while. So he chooses this nice area. Uh, They leave on the boat uh, heading towards that area. People see them leaving and they start running over land, uh, which Martin and I, we've been in that area. You can see uh, as the boat moves and then they start moving there and they gather there. So many gathering with the expectation. Um, One of the other gospels says that they were bringing their sick. And Jesus was also having compassion. It says when Jesus saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Another passage says that he was also healing them. Uh, This miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. So for sure, there are many lessons for us to learn from this passage. And the first one, right, is... They said, send them away. Uh, They thought, this is too big of a crowd. We can't manage this. 
their solution was just have them leave. Uh, Jesus' solution was, no, you give them something to eat. And oftentimes uh, we find that our solution, our answer, is not God's solution. Um, I find this many times when you pray in a group. Oftentimes people pray kind of telling God how he should answer their own prayers, right? But when we pray, we just need to lift up the need to the Lord and ask him to answer in the way that pleases him. Um, Also, we can kind of see, in a sense, they had a lack of compassion, right? Just send them away. But their lack of compassion did not restrict the compassion of Jesus. And aren't you happy that Jesus is going to work? He's going to accomplish his will, even in the times that maybe our attitude doesn't match the heart of God. Uh, They limited the supply. They said, we only have 200 denarii. Uh, That's not enough to feed this great number of people. But their lack of supply did not limit Jesus' ability to supply. And have you experienced that in life? Um, You know, we've gone through times where, uh, as missionaries, we didn't ask people to help us financially. And we could kind of see the end of our finances. And then we would just pray, and the Lord would answer. And we have to remember that the supply that we bring to the Lord is not what limits him. He does according to his will, and he does exceedingly and abundantly more than we can think. Uh, Another lesson is that Uh, The boy who is mentioned, um, Philip brings a boy, according to John's gospel. He surrenders what was in his control, right? It was his five loaves and his two fish. He surrenders them to Jesus, and Jesus does exceedingly more than anyone could have imagined. Uh, I oftentimes think of the perspective of that boy, right? Some of the 5,000 people... They were sitting far enough away uh, that they probably didn't understand the full um, degree of the miracle. But that little boy, because he surrendered what he had in his possession, he actually saw the wonder and the amazement of Jesus taking those uh, few loaves and those two fish and feeding 5,000 men plus the women and children. It says in verse 41, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven, blessed, and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. Um, Are you praying for your meals? You know, that's a real simple application, isn't it? Uh, Jesus took the food, he blessed it, and he broke it as he looked up to heaven. And I feel that many times we become so accustomed Uh, that we stop doing the things that are uh, scriptural. Um, In the book of Deuteronomy, I believe it's in chapter 8, it says, when you have eaten and are full, then you'll give thanks to the Lord. So it's also good to pray after you eat because uh, the Lord is the supply, you know. And um, they didn't know where the answer would come from, but Jesus looked up, blessed the bread, And it multiplied, and it says they all ate and were filled. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? You probably have like seven or 8,000 people, if not more, and they're all filled. Uh, Jesus is the miracle maker, and he he invites his disciples to join him in the work, um, which actually multiplied the effect. 
And I think that that's an interesting thing as well, is that the miracle could have happened without the influence of the disciples. The disciples, in a sense, were limiting Jesus, but he increased the effect of the miracle through the lives of the disciples. And it says uh, that phrase, so they all ate and were filled, right? And when Jesus applies, the need is met and people are content. That's one of the greatest causes for true praise and worship is that God has met our need. He has caused us to be content. And in our gratefulness, we worship him. Uh, Also, we see that when Jesus is at work, there is order, right? He told them to make them sit down uh, in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. So it was to be orderly as they distributed it. And uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And um, we've been in different countries. We've seen different types of churches. Uh, sometimes in the name of uh, faith, kind of strange things are happening. You know, when we were in Nigeria, we visited a church that um, our friend, it was his friend who was a pastor, and he uh, was taking an offering, and as he was talking, he was going back and forth on the podium area, and he had the drum player like kind of playing to a crescendo. And then he, he actually took five offerings that day, and one of them, he says, you know, it is the month of June, and if you give your offering, none of your family members will die for the rest of the year. And I just thought, you know, something's not quite right here. And... Uh, I felt so uncomfortable. I told Marta, I said, if we weren't guests, I would want to stand up and leave. And, you know, one thing that we can see whether God is at work is that he is a God of order. And he doesn't use manipulation. He doesn't stir people up uh, through emotional pleas. Uh, God is a God of order. He's a God of peace. Jesus instructed the disciples to collect the fragments I wonder if it was with the intent that they themselves would be carrying those baskets and say it was a miracle, right? That they who were the limiting factor at the beginning would then see and would be amazed. Truly, God wants us to be amazed at who he is and that he can do exceedingly abundantly more than we expect. Um, I might have mentioned one time when we were in Ukraine, uh, it was an old Soviet-style building, and it had a big crack through a cement slab. They put the buildings up real fast with preformed slabs. And we had old wallpaper, and Marta was sleeping next to the wall, and that crack was right next to her ear and her jaw. And over time, her jaw started popping, and uh, she started to have pain, and uh, she started to feel poorly. And then one day, I, I reached over next to the wall and you could feel a draft, a breeze come in through that crack in the wall. So she had a planned trip to go to the U.S. and I stayed. Uh, that, that time I was two years away from uh, family just in Ukraine. She was back and she said, well, you know, our friends who gather our mail and send out the newsletter, they have a business. They said that they can put me on their um, health insurance but you have to wait a month to get approved, and then uh, we have to get the arrangement with the doctor. So she waited the month. Um, the doctor said, oh, you have a really bad 
deterioration in your jaw, we're going to have to do surgery. And so then the surgery had to be scheduled. And so it was like approaching the second month. And um, we had never been along. We had never been apart that long. Uh, we had never been separated that long. And Marta was feeling lonely. And she said, honey, I really feel like it's just time for me to come back. Um, and I said, well, you just have to pray and trust the Lord. So we had a lot of people praying, right? The common answer is wait and let the doctor do the procedure, right? Uh, that was what kind of the limiting factor was. Get the insurance, let the doctor do the procedure. Well, one morning, Marta woke up and we had Skype, so she called me with the time difference. It was evening time. She goes, honey, I'm going to go on a flight and just come home. I said, okay. So as she went on the flight, uh, she's eating. And at the beginning of the flight, because, you know, when you travel overseas, they give you a meal, her jaw is popping. And she prayed. She said, Lord, I just know that you can touch and heal. And so when she woke up, uh, she had, you know, breakfast on the plane and no more popping. And from that time, there was never any more pain or popping in her jaw. And uh, if we would have just went with the way that, you know, it seemed natural, get the health insurance, trust the doctor, she would have had a surgery. But the Lord had a different answer. And he just gave her the faith, get on the plane, and on the plane, coming back to Ukraine, the Lord healed her. And as we read in the scripture reading, uh, this passage from Ephesians that should be dear to each of our hearts, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory. Amen. You know, and I would encourage you, look back in your life periodically. Remember the times that he has done exceedingly abundantly above all that you have asked or think. Remember that he wants us to know his love. Uh, it says, it's an interesting phrase, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, right? We're to know it as much as we can, but we can't even completely understand the greatness of his love. I look at it this way. God wants to overwhelm us. Um, yesterday, we drove to where the Arkansas River is kind of like a small little rapid. And Marta goes, well, just go swimming. And I got in there and uh, the water kind of tumbled me like that. And uh, I was overwhelmed, right, by the flow of the water. Well, God wants to overwhelm us with who he is. He wants to overwhelm us with his love. Uh, he wants his spirit to strengthen us as we live with Jesus in our hearts and as we remember that he does the miracles in our life and around our lives. You know, and if you haven't had that experience where you're just full of praise for God's greatness and his goodness, ask him to overwhelm you with who he is and with his love. In this passage, I kind of see the reality that Jesus started with something small, something inadequate. He broke it, caused it to be multiplied. And as it was gathered back together, it was no longer the same as it was started because it had been touched by the Lord. 
And have you found that in your life, right? Sometimes it, your strength seems so weak. You seem so inadequate. And oftentimes we think, oh, Lord, just touch and help. But sometimes it's a breaking process first, right? So that when he acts, he gets the glory and not us. But as he acts, we are changed. We're touched by the Lord. Continuing on now in Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 45, and continuing. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And we remember Jesus is the example of ministry, right? He had the disciples uh, distribute the bread, but he also is involved in uh, teaching the people, healing the people, and now sending them away. Verse 46, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed by them. Uh, So he sees them, right, from his position, straining as they're rowing against the wind. He had told them to go to the other side. Then it says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Can you kind of picture that? So it's dark, right? There's a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake, about 12 miles long and seven miles wide at the widest part. And he leaves the land. Uh, We're told that it's the fourth watch of the night, which means that it's uh, just before the daybreak. So they are probably completely worn out, uh, rowing and struggling against the wind and the waves uh, for most of the night. Verse 49, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. I always think that's such an interesting comment, right? They were involved in distributing the bread and the fish, but they didn't completely understand that it was an indicator that the Spirit of God was working through Jesus, uh, confirming that he was the Messiah. Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray. He sends them out on the sea Uh, Many of them were fishermen. Uh, Many of them were familiar with boats, but they're overwhelmed by the storm. They're overwhelmed by the continual rowing against the wind and the waves. And then they see him coming and they misunderstand. They think that it is a ghost, a spirit uh, coming. But Jesus speaks to them. And what does he say? He said to them, be of good cheer it is I, do not be afraid. And oftentimes in calamities, in uh, challenges in the scriptures, the Lord comes and he says, be of good cheer, do not be afraid, it is I. It says, then he went into the boat to them and the wind ceased. Now, uh, 
the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, includes something else. What was it that was included? It's Peter, right? Saying, Lord, if it is you, call me out there, right? And wouldn't that be exceedingly and abundantly more than you would uh, imagine or think? That he says, call me out there. And he takes a step out. And as he's focused upon Jesus, uh, he's moving forward. But then he sees the wind and the waves and he starts to sink. I always love the fact that as he sinks, he cries out and he says, um, Lord, save me. And the Lord doesn't rebuke him. What does he do? He stretches out his hand and he caught him and he said, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I love that about Jesus. And Psalm 37 says, a righteous man or woman might fall seven times, but the Lord lifts him up. And I love that, that the Lord didn't rebuke Peter first. He lifted him up. And then he says, oh, you know, your little faith because you focused upon the wind and the waves. Isn't that the challenge for us when the difficulty comes? Where are you going to put your focus? You know, not too long ago, uh, I saw Jeff go through that transition, you know, with uh, getting laid off, uh, having the expectation that this is going to be the answer, and then things getting delayed, and then God put in his friend's heart to come and bring the answer. And many times uh, the danger is that we get focused upon the circumstances around us and we don't see the Lord in the storm. But the Lord lifted Peter up out of his challenge, brought him into the boat, the wind ceased, and it says they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. So they're like, how could this happen? You know, uh, we just saw Peter walking on the water. Jesus pulls him back. The storm completely um, calms. And it says uh, they were amazed beyond measure and marveled. In uh, Job, it says that the Lord walks upon the waves of the sea. And I love that. I think it's one of the indicators um, that the Lord Jesus is one with the Father. So... Uh, continuing on, verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran throughout the whole surrounding regions, and began carrying on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Verse 56, whenever he entered into villages, cities, or the country... They laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they, that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Don't you love that phrase? As many as touched him were made well. You know, in faith, have you reached out and touched Jesus? Have you seen that he can make you well, both inside and outside? Um, we read that phrase, right, that we might be able to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that we would be able to be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? Uh, when Solomon built the temple, he prayed and he says, what is this house? Because the heaven of heavens can't contain you. 
But here we see that God wants us to experience who he is, his fullness. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory. I started the message with a little remembrance of what God did through William Carey. There is another person that uh, began his life in Germany and ended his life in the area of London, England. His name was George Mueller. Do you know he kept a prayer journal throughout all of his life? And towards the end of his life, uh, in his 70s and 80s, he was used to found um, orphanages and they supplied the needs of those children by faith. And I just want to say some of us are at half of our life or past, right? And uh, we are not to limit God. If George Mueller would have said, well, I'm already in my 70s, 80s, uh, maybe God's not going to work through me so much. There would have been a few thousand orphans that wouldn't have been benefited from his faith. And one day I remember reading the story uh, from a book about his life. They didn't have milk uh, for the, the kids that morning. And they prayed, as they did each morning, that the Lord would supply. You know what happened? A horse-drawn cart was going by, and the cart broke. And it was loaded with milk. And the guy came up. Knocked on the door. He goes, you know, I need to fix the cart, but I can't deal with all this milk. Could I just give it to you? And their hearts were so thankful for the Lord's provision. And God is able to do that. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. It's not our power. It's his power. To him be the glory. I want to encourage you. Don't slow down. In spiritual things, don't slow down. Keep moving forward. Keep expecting God to answer. Keep remembering that there were individuals, men and women, that were used greatly in such a way that they changed whole nations. And they did it not by their own strength, but by the strength and the plan and the purpose of God. God wants to use our lives. We simply need to be like that young boy that says, here's the five loaves, here's the two fish, and then you stand back and you watch. You watch him do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Would you stand with me as we finish in prayer? Lord, as we stand before you, I just have a sense that some people have said, send them away. It's too much work. We don't have enough supply. But that's not your heart. You looked upon the multitudes, the crowds, and you had compassion upon them. Would you touch us with your heart of compassion? Will you help us to remember that you, Lord Jesus, are the same yesterday, today, and forever? Would you stir us up to love and good works? that you could work in and through our life in such a way that people would be transformed for your glory and for your kingdom. And Lord, some of us are lacking, whether it be health issues or financial issues, but our limit doesn't limit you and your ability to act and to answer. And so we just want to say, help, Lord Jesus, save, 
work in and through our lives and do it all for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.